With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Hey, welcome to Latina to Latina, a bustle podcast. I'm Alicia Menendez. It's not just about making history. It is about ensuring we have a seat at the table to get something done, right? Because I'll tell you what, don't you think it is about time that we had diversity in the United States Senate? That was U.S. Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. In 2016, Donald Trump won by promising to build that wall and made his infamous comments about Mexico. But that same year, Cortez Masto became the first ever Latina elected to the U.S. Senate, a Mexican-American woman. We sat down in the U.S. Capitol to talk about what it means to her to be the first. We're in the U.S. Capitol. We are. Do you still have days where you just drive up to the Capitol and you think, oh, my God, I work here? Every day. Every day. And I tell people, if that changes and I become jaded, then I shouldn't be here. Hmm. I mean, it is, you know, and I think about it because, you know, my grandparents and my parents, where they've come from, how they've worked so hard to make sure that my sister and I could have an education and succeed. And then just walking in thinking, oh, my goodness, not only do I represent them and all of their hard work. I'm here representing people of the great state of Nevada, right? All the people that I know and love because I've grown up there and want to fight for. So yes, uh, not only that, it's also very intimidating because then you think about all of the people before you who've walked these halls, the senators Mm -hmm. that have walked the halls before you, who sat at the desk before you. And um, look at 
we have a constitution because of them, a bill of rights because of them. We have treaties because of them. I mean, you just go on and on and on and you can just really think, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I can move because it's so intimidating at times. But I'm just blessed. I'm so happy I'm here. And yet no one who walked these halls and no one who wrote the Constitution looked like you and had your life experience in a number of ways, right? I mean, That's both right. in terms of your gender, in terms of your race and ethnicity, in terms of where you geographically come from in the United States. Um, well, we're talking about the Constitution. Um, and so for you then, how do you situate yourself in that? I mean, the first Latina U.S. Senator, what does that mean to you? You know, and that's why I'm excited to be here, because it really means that now I have a voice at the table mm-hmm. to get something done. And I have a voice that's representing a constituency that's normally underrepresented. Mm-hmm. And so now we're here. Mm-hmm. Hello, we're, we've walked through this door and now we're here and we're going to fight. You grew up middle class. Dad mm-hmm. was a parking attendant. Mom was a bookkeeper. And I think so often we talk about someone who's had your anomalous ascension. We talk about it as though like, well, you go to college and you go to law school and you get a job. But there's something more nuanced that happens, too, which is when you grow up middle class and then all of a sudden you're in corridors of power. There's a language to power. There's a language to wealth. And so my question to you is, how did you learn to comport yourself in in arenas where there was power and privilege and wealth when that's not what you grew up knowing? You know, that's a great question. Um, I, I think because of my parents, they really planted the seed with us. To them, it wasn't about power and wealth and, um, you know, where you come from. It is about who you are. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's like what Martin Luther King said. It's about the content of your character. Um, and I think if you know and you're confident in who you are, where you came from, and your values and why you're there, you can walk into any room and have any conversation mm-hmm. with anyone. And I really learned that from my parents and particularly watching my father um, growing up because he had a tough, tough childhood. He fought for everything that he and my mother had. And then he went on to become a county commissioner and president of the Convention of Visitors Authority. But he never forgot where he came from. And he talked with everyone equally and with the same respect. I don't care what job you had. I don't care where you lived in the community. Everybody he treated equally. And I think that's what this is about. That's what I learned from him. And that's really why I do what I do every single day. To me, it's about that respect for everyone and fighting for everyone when when they need that voice or they need that advocate on their side. So mom's of Italian descent. She is. Dad is of Mexican descent. Did you grow up thinking of yourself as Latina? Both. Well, uh, actually, it was funny. Both. You can't. You, no, listen, you I come know. from those big families. You yeah. can't. You can't run from it, right? So one Sunday. My Italian grandmother at her house having sauce and, and pasta. The next Sunday <laughs> at my Mexican-American grandmother's having uh, frijoles and tortillas. And so th- that's how our Sundays were. You spend it with family and with your grandparents and uh, around food and lots of people, right? Monday through Friday must have been a lot of cardio. <laughs> exactly. But we celebrated everything. I don't care if you, if you lost your tooth. Oh, the family's coming together. Or mm-hmm. The tooth fairy's coming. Mm-hmm. Or the first communion. Oh, it's the first communion. Now all the family's coming together. And so... Um, you don't run from it, uh, and you just embrace it. And I loved it, and I did. I came from both kind of cultures, but they're still similar in the sense that there's a lot of family, a lot of love, a lot of support. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about your time mm-hmm. as as AG. A lot of emphasis on the most vulnerable communities, seniors, uh, women, children. Why? Because I'm an advocate and a fighter. I, I've always been. I, I just hate the idea that there's people out there that are getting 
um, stepped on or that just need a helping hand and nobody's there to help or fight for them. The best part that I feel that of all the jobs that I've had is when somebody calls up and says, I'm having trouble here and I need somebody in a position that can help me maneuver through this and give me help. And that is the best part of anything. Um, when I was practicing law, I was most fulfilled when I was doing pro bono work, right? For free, for <laughs> okay. people. Yeah. yeah. I, the partners didn't I was like that, say, I'm right? sure your firm was thrilled by that. <laughs> they weren't crazy about it. But that's what I loved, right? Yeah. Because people need help. And and I always felt that if I can be in a position, what you call it, power or whatever, that you can just knock down barriers, cut through red tape, and help people. That's what this is about. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt that way. I, I just, it hasn't changed. I That's what I love about public policy and what I do. Let's talk about running for office, because so often when we talk about running for office, especially when we talk about women, we talk about that that moment when getting women to run. But even once you get women to run, there are all of these obstacles, institutional support, party support, fundraising. For you, what was the biggest obstacle? Ooh, um, probably for me, it was at the time, there was nobody to show you how to do it, <laughs> right? There's no, there's no manual. Mm-hmm. At the time, I didn't know about Emily's List. There was no uh, Emerge, these programs now that are wonderful that if you want to run for office, you can go through this program. They could talk to you about it and what you need to do. I had no idea. Really? Literally no idea. Just that I knew I wanted to do this, that there were issues I wanted to fight for. I knew my state. I knew I had to get around and talk to people and ask for their vote and explain why I wanted to represent them. And I will tell you this, had I known now what I know, I probably would have never run because there's so much to it. But I love, I love what I'm doing now. And I'm so grateful that I just jumped out and said, I may not know everything that's involved in running for office, but I'm going to do it. And I think there's times when women running for office look at it differently than men run for office. Women want to make sure, well, you know, do, did I check this box? Do I, do I have the experience? Do I have the education? Do I, am I going to be able to do this job? And men are just, you know, the question they ask is, how much does it pay? I'm in. You know, it, it's this kind of um, different way we look at things. And I think more of us just need to say, listen, I am passionate about an issue. I can do this job like anyone else. Uh, I have the qualifications, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to jump in. So it's almost like if it had not been for a little bit of naivete, we might not be sitting there. <laughs> that's right. I, I mean, that's true. I, you just Because now now you look at these races, particularly the one that I just came out of, it was brutal. Um, and I think many people look at those races now and say, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go through all of that. That's just crazy. You have to put all yourself out there. They're going to talk about you all the time. They're going to talk about good and bad, makeup things, whatever. Though, how do you steal yourself for that? Because most people won't have the experience you have of running for office and seeing headlines and fabricated things about yourself. How do you manage when people are saying really negative things about you? I learned. I learned it when I was uh, attorney general for eight years. You don't read it. You stop. If you read everything that people put out there uh, about you, good and bad, it is not healthy. You have to have a hard shell. You have to be able to take the criticism. Constructive criticism, I always... Accept. I think everybody should accept that. I think it's important. But, you know, some of the negative stuff that you see out there, you have to have this hardened shell um, to be able to recognize it's going to be there. Don't read everything. Don't believe everything. And focus on why you're there, what your values are, and why you're fighting. I always tell people when they want to run for office, the first thing you have to do is your self-analysis. Why are you running? You're going to put yourself out there, so you've got to be honest with yourself and sincere. Why are you doing this? And now you got to explain it to people and talk to people about it so that you get their vote and they believe in you. 
um, that that's a good part of all of this. What do you think the ratio is of people who want to be of service versus just straight up narcissists? <laughs> when they do that self-analysis. Uh, well, you know what? You know what's interesting? And I, I will say this. It's, it's, it's actually fantastic. Over the course of this last year, from the Women's March and what, January 4th of 2017 to now, mm -hmm. there are more people that are looking to run for office than ever, we've ever seen before. I think it's fantastic. That tells me people are engaged, they're listening, they care, and they're really w willing to step in and make a difference. When you came here, did you have a sense here, here being Washington, D.C., did you have a sense of these are the things I need to get done, and when I get these things done, then I will know that I've done my job? When I got to the legislature, particularly in Congress, I realized it takes patience. What we do here is a lot of networking. It is a lot of working with your colleagues and talking about important policies, and then working to get that passed. It takes patience, and it could take years to get something done. And I think many of us that came from the executive branch and then stepped into this legislative branch are realizing, okay, we need to throttle back in that sense and just be patient, take our time, have a strategy, have a blueprint where we want to go, and then stay on that path. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. We're in the Me Too moment, and I think the sort of larger cultural conversation around Me Too is around power and around power differentials between men and women, between people who are public and have public uh, stature and people who are private citizens. And so much of what we hear is just that women feel like they have no power as individuals. And here you are, one of 100 U.S. senators. I think you are probably often referred to as a powerful person. Do you feel powerful? 
No, I don't. No, I don't <laughs> of feel course you don't. I feel like I knew the answer to that question before I asked. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what. What what I I do feel is the the need to make sure that those women have the power they need to succeed. Uh, and uh, whether it is breaking down this culture of, and listen, I've spent a career of working in domestic violence prevention, sexual assault prevention, sex trafficking prevention, mm-hmm. um, and you've you said it. It's all centered around power and control. Listen, the conversation we have now with this Me Too movement is fantastic because we're bringing attention to it. We're educating. The first step in prevention, I always say, is that education and awareness. That's what's happening now. But now we need to take that cultural change and institutionalize it. That means we need to change our systems and our processes that we have in place uh, to ensure that everybody has the ability to succeed. Uh, And that's what I'm focused on working on here now. One of the first things you did when you got to them, in addition to sort of your exterior, the stuff you do on behalf of your constituents, you brought together all of the Latina staffers on the Senate side to get a sense of what they felt their opportunities, obstacles were. What was the number one thing you heard from them? I I can tell you, I've I've done several of those. One of the first things for me was to increase the diversity here in Congress. So you can just walk in and see there's not enough of it. And so I I wanted to understand what were the barriers. So I had roundtables with Latinos that work on the Hill. I've had roundtables with African-Americans working on the Hill, with Asian-American Pacific Islanders, with LGBTQ to really talk about, you know, what were the challenges? What were the barriers? What can we do to open that door, promote and move forward? And we've had some great conversations. And the first thing I, I really learned was the first step in, in getting in the door are those internships, mm-hmm. right? Which is in part connections class. Right, because they're unpaid. And you have to move to Washington, D.C. That's right. To take an unpaid internship. That's right. And not a, who can do that? Yeah. Well, if you come from a wealthy family, you can afford to do that. But if you come from a family where we're trying to pull sometimes diversity, where there's uh, economically challenged. You come from a middle class family. That's hard to You can't afford to do that. So that was, to me, the first understanding, okay, there's a barrier. What do we do? The first thing I did is created a scholarship in my office. We're going to have a scholarship and then reach out and follow those, find those fellowships where we can find and give scholarships for first generation, where we can find those people and bring them in. And then the next step is, okay, now we have or we're opening that door to diversity. How do we continue to promote them within? Thank you so much. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. That's it for now, but we want to hear from you. Email us at Latina to Latina at bustle.com. Send us ideas for awesome guests or whatever it is you're thinking about right now. Remember to subscribe to Latina to Latina on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. We love hearing from you. Latina to Latina is produced by Lantigua Williams and Co., mixed by Oluwakemi Aladesui with assistance from Anna Parsons. Our executive editor is Emily Ann Epstein. Our editorial supervisor is Roseanne Salvatore. And we got to give a special thank you to Jenny Hollander. El 
little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.